0: I'm going to give you a heads up. This is a really difficult one. You ready?
1: So oh, good. I'm so good at this already.
0: This is a man, and he died in 2012. He was 84 years old. When he was young, his mother had a premonition that he would become a hairdresser.
1: Huh? Johnny Cash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I don't know. It's not Johnny Cash.
1: I don't know.
0: <laughs> he was roommates with the actors Terrence Stamp. And Michael Kane I don't know. He is credited with changing the way women wore and cared for their hair. Paul Mitchell. No, but a good guess. He fashioned his clients' hair into geometric shapes and sharp angles to complement their facial bone structure. Vidal Sassoon. Today's dead guest is Vidal Sassoon. Ah
2: yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you, Vidal. You've changed, Vidal. Thank you, Vidal.
2: Because you're using more styling products, it's harder to get your hair really clean and sexy. But now you can with my new Vidal Sassoon Advanced Salon Formula. The shampoo cleanses away styling buildup. The conditioning
0: finishing rinse leaves your hair radiant. New Advanced Salon Formula. Thank you, Vidal.
2: Because if you don't look good, we don't look good.
0: Welcome to Famous and Gravy, a conversation about what really matters in life, one dead celebrity at a time. I'm
2: Michael Osborne. My name is Amit Kapoor. And through a series of questions about a famous person's inner and outer life, we want to figure out the things in life that we actually desire. And ultimately, we answer the big question, would you want their life? Today, Vidal
0: Sassoon died 2012, age 84. Here is the first line of Vidal Sassoon's obituary. Vidal Sassoon, whose mother had a premonition that he would become a hairdresser and steered him to an apprenticeship in a London shop when he was 14, setting him on the path that led to his changing the way women wore and cared for their hair, died on Wednesday at his home in Los Angeles. Ahmed, your reaction to that obituary?
2: It's funny that it started at the mother's premonition at age 14. I normally don't see that in an obituary.
0: I mean, to have that as the first line of the obituary elevates that fact above trivia and hints at predestination. Yeah. That it's a premonition. They even say age 14. I mean, it's very specific. But in a way, it's smart because it sort of hints that, like, this man had a destiny,
2: Yeah, you know? Yeah, and I like that they used changing the way. He changed the way that people wore their hair. That's a big honor to bestow upon somebody, right?
0: That there's a cultural impact.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's a significance there.
0: Yeah. Is it missing anything?
2: I kind of wanted to bookend the 14. So like, premonition at age 14 died Wednesday at age 84.
0: With these obituaries, they always say he was 84 after the first line of the obituary. They give the age death, but you wanted it- integrated into the sentence
2: yeah because i wanted to do the math of 84 minus 14 and so the premonition basically lasted 70 years
0: yeah all right scale of one to 10 seven interesting why why is it not a 10 what's missing i told you
2: they were missing the 84 the number at the end and i think there was too much weight on the mother's premonition
0: if you were to edit this obituary, you m- might think about integrating the age in, and that would bump it up to an eight or a nine for you?
2: Yeah, that would do it.
0: All right, let's get to the categories. So, Vidal Sassoon, Category 1, Five
2: Things I Love About You. Do you want to kick us off here? Yeah, I'll start it. And I, let me just say, I had no problem once learning about him of generating a list here. Really? Okay. You fell in love with Vidal? <laughs> I'm going to go chronologically. He was, as a young kid, as a school kid, apparently an exceptional athlete at both track and what they called football, what we'd call soccer. And I always love that reversal when somebody is known as a fashion icon or an actor, but they were an early athlete. And when the reverse happens also, when they were an early theater person or something and then became an athlete. I just, I always love that twist of fate.
0: That's interesting. So you love it because it tells you something
2: about early talent? No, because I don't think I believe in predestination. (laughs) Oh. To me, that proves that you just kind of have to wait and see what's next. Interesting.
0: All right. So we're going to put that on the list. Okay. I don't feel as confident about my list. So I think you're going to get three tonight and I'm going to get two. I put fought fascists. That seems like a big one.
2: That's on there. That's on mine.
0: Okay, great. In 1948, he was too young to go off to war, but he is in London where there is a homegrown sort of fascist youth movement, and he is out there raising hell to fight those fascists. Is that the same fighting fascists that you found?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just putting as a fighter and, and somebody who's experienced war. Oh, you lumped it all in together. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you're talking about not just experiencing London being bombed during World War II, but also his service for the nation of Israel around 1948, 49, when
2: Israel's just getting founded? Correct. For no comment about that, but just the fact that he experienced war.
0: You're not going to weigh in on Zionism? I don't think this is the space to do it. I agree. I agree. He went to war and he experienced war and still found himself cutting hair. Okay, so that's number two. I like that one. All right, well, I'm going to go with number three. I wonder if this is also on your list. His mother's premonition that he was going to be a hairdresser. I did come across that, but I
2: didn't know that's not on my list.
0: So now I'm feeling a little weird about it because you said you don't believe in predestination and uh, that the fact that his mother had a premonition that he was going to be a hairdresser of all things— I kind of find that to be an interesting factoid of his life, but I'm actually, I'm not going to put that on the list. I'm going to put the next one because it's a little bit more abstract, but it speaks to the same thing, that he's the best, I mean, by a lot of accounts, the best at something I'm not sure anyone was trying really hard to be the best at. It's a sort of esoteric achievement to be the world's greatest hairdresser. I mean, I know it's now a competitive field, but when he got into it, I'm not sure this was the kind of career that would make anybody world famous. So I like the dedication to something that is niche. Maybe niche isn't the right word. How would you put it?
2: What do you think about this one? I don't think niche is the wrong word. I think like going for an extremely unique gift and being the best at something that's very distinct. It's so different than being a supreme athlete or a supreme musician or a billionaire. It's just such a different achievement. It's
0: not an obviously competitive profession. In fact, I would think most of the time it's not a
2: competitive profession at all. Well, it's it's also not something that you think you could ever achieve superlativeness in. Exactly. You probably can't now. But to even like identify it at that point as like, this is something that I can master. There's a little bit
0: of a tangent, but I want to follow it. You said you probably can't now. Surely in... New York or LA or Paris or London, there are highly sought after hairstylists. So it doesn't seem to me that this is something you can't achieve now, but did you think that his fame and success, we'll talk about fame more later, but his success is the result of his timing in history? Or do you think that this is a career that could be not mimicked exactly but you could have another extraordinarily famous and commercially successful hairdresser in 2021.
2: I think it's there is a lot of luck and timing and that's no discount to the skill but it's just that there's way too many avenues to be crowned the best right now. Yeah. And so I think the most you can achieve now is to be in a certain tier but to be one of the best I think is it's a completely elusive feat in today. I don't know that it can be replicated anymore. I think that's an insightful comment. Okay, what do you got next? I liked the intersection of his life with other celebrities. So, friends with Michael Caine, roommates even.
0: Yeah, and Terrence Stamp, who is less well-known, but everybody's uh, good. Who is good. Stamp? He's been in a lot of movies. You'd probably recognize him. He's in a movie called The Limey that was one of Soderbergh's early films. You'd know him. He's British and has 80% of the charisma of Michael Caine. He's a little bit more stern. But anyway, yeah, so... They were all roommates, I also found. And, and was, that,
2: was is that just pure
0: coincidence? I don't know. I couldn't find any more information on it because I heard Michael Kane talking about it in some random interview, and it was like a toss-off comment. It sounded like they were bachelors, and this was the part I really liked about Vidal Sassoon being roommates with Michael Kane, is Michael Kane said there was all these gorgeous women hanging around Vidal Sassoon. I would have thought it had gone the other way. Michael Caine is the, you know, sort of young, handsome British actor on the rocket ship of celebrity and Hollywood and fame and so forth. Yet, Vidal Sassoon is the one that's hanging around all the ladies. And that's one of the reasons Michael Caine liked him. So,
2: you know what I think I like about this? And when this has come up, I think, with other people that we've looked at, I like the idea of friendships and parallel success, public success following. Because I don't think it's entirely just coincidental that people who are well-known happen to be old friends and roommates. There are conversations that probably happen on that couch and over drinks and are consoling together or sharing dreams or lack of dreams. And that I think something happens that is really important.
0: Yeah, I like where you're going with that. I forget who it was, but I think like Al Gore was college roommates with Tommy Lee Jones.
2: Yeah, something like that.
0: I think that's right. I, that's a similar sort of one, right? Two people who, I mean, very different trajectories, but intersect before they've entered the world as sort of mature humans. Yeah. I hear you on that. So are you are you pointing to it like a mystical property or is it like... The exact opposite. I, I think it's something that's completely practical.
2: I think there's a possibility of a co-inspiration that leads them into public celebrity or quote, achievement later.
0: Yeah, but it's not just competitiveness, or is it? Or maybe that's just one element of that?
2: I don't think we know. It could be competitiveness. It could be complete dismissal and acceptance. I don't know. But I like to think there's something shared on idle nights, on couches, that leads to the rest of the lives.
0: Yeah. In bunk beds. And Vidal Sassoon and Michael Kane and, and Terrence Stamp just hanging out some night when, you know, the ladies aren't there. You do have to wonder what the chit-chat was about. That's a good one. So what are we at now? We got fought fascists. I said something that I'm not sure anybody was trying really hard to be good at. We have unique celebrity friendships.
2: And early athletic ability. So we get mom's premonition. That's going to round out the five.
0: Mom's Premonition. All right, let's go to Category 2. Malkovich, Malkovich. This is named after the movie Being John Malkovich, where you have the opportunity to travel into a portal and have a front-row seat to somebody else's firsthand experiences. Amit, when is a moment that you would have wanted to have been Vidal Sassoon or had a front-row seat to his experiences?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely going to take the front-row seat part of this, not the necessarily one to have been, as I just want to know what that feels like. And I'm not talking about a specific event or an exact moment in time but something hypothetical which I'm 100% certain happened over and over and over again. And it is being in the presence of somebody either buying or using a product that has your name on it when you are there and them having no idea who you are. Yeah, I don't know if that's (laughs) empowering, godlike or a complete erasure of identity and like... uh, I don't
0: know what it is. (laughs) So, So what you're imagining, hypothetically, is Vidal Sassoon standing in line at the grocery store, and the person ahead is scanning their products, and they happen to have Vidal Sassoon shampoo and conditioner.
2: Correct. And they're not attached to it. They're not obsessing about it, but they are buying his name. Wow. And this is specific to the fact that the product is his name. To me, it's different than just saying, okay, this is what I created, and this, like, I'm seeing someone buy it, and that's... Feel something. I think the idea that my name is being lent to a product and people are using it, and I am that name.
0: Yeah. It, it is sort of funny to imagine somebody buying Amit Kapoor candy at the grocery store. It was or buying- <laughs> a massive failure. We tried.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <the late> <laughs> right. or, or I'll take the Amit Kapoor hamburger. What yeah. would the Michael Osborne product be? Oh, God. I, that's a great question. Not shampoo. Uh, mustard? Obvious. Do you seem like a must, like a barbecue mustard? I could go with, yeah, no. I kind of like that. Michael Osborne mustard. It does feel like mustard. Thank you. I'm going to take that as a compliment. You know, so I was having a conversation with a friend before this recording, and I was telling him about our show and some of the recent episodes, and I said, yeah, we're going to be doing Vidalsa soon." And he
2: said, that's a person? That's exactly, that's, that's the Malkovich that I want to know because I'm not convinced it feels great. It might feel great. It might feel better than great. But I also think it could be existentially terrifying. I don't know. Huh?
0: But I'm not sure you're getting at the same point I'm at where I wonder what percentage of people who have familiarity with Vidal Sassoon know that that is actually a name and not a product.
2: Yeah, that's true. I think our age category and above do because he put himself in the commercials. Yeah. But younger than that, I mean, you look at like Warby Parker, right, which is a sort of similar brand name. And in fact, kind of in that sort of style design sense, mm-hmm. that's not a real person. That's that's a combination of two fictitious characters that the name came up. But who would really know that down the road?
0: All right. Can I go with my Malkovich Malkovich? Yeah. I started to watch a documentary, I didn't get all the way through it, about Vidal Sassoon. And I saw this quoted in several places that he drew inspiration from architecture. And he actually, there is this moment in this documentary I'm watching where he's like talking at the camera saying, the world was changing and I was seeing new forms and new buildings. And I think that's really weird. I think it's really weird to walk around a city and see new buildings and think, I'm going to take inspiration here, right? Like, there's something about the architecture that I want to apply to a woman's hairstyle. That connection is quite a leap. So the Malkovich moment I had, a little bit hypothetical too, but I want to be in his head when he's walking around London or Paris or New York or wherever it is, and he sees a building and he says... That'd make for a great hairstyle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because if that's true, that is genuine inspiration, right? People don't make those kinds of connections very easily or obviously.
2: I like that. This is kind of the opposite of that. Have you seen the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers buildings in Prague? No. There's two buildings. I don't know if they're office buildings or apartments. Mid-rise-ish. But the buildings are shaped, and you once you see it and you get that description, you completely get it like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers dancing. But they're just office buildings.
1: Wow. How about that? Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Okay, let's move on. Category three.
0: Are there any divorces? If so, how many? And is there anything else we know?
2: I saw four. uh, There are children. There was an adoption. There was tragedy. There was a whole lot there. I found the same thing. First wife, uh, 1956
0: to 1958. Which would have
2: put him at how old?
0: That's a good question. So he was born 1928. So 57 to 58, is that what? 28,
2: 29? Yeah, okay. Not super young for the era. No, and in the bit of
0: the documentary that I did get through, what I saw
2: is he actually
0: cared quite a bit about her, and she runs off with a ski instructor, and he blames himself because he said, I was too consumed with my work, which I really don't know what that means if you're cutting hair.
2: <laughs> what a horrible comment to make, Michael. What?
0: No, hang on! How does that work? Like, what is... No, 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 no. Let me, let me unpack this for a second. I think that... Today, if you somebody is consumed with work, they have a lot of emails they still have to answer at the end of the day. There's a lot of phone calls they have to make. There's things that are, that are left unattended to. That was probably true about running a salon, you know, a barbershop or whatever you called it in 1958. But consumed with your work? I don't know. It seems like there's a point which the day is done and you go home and you have dinner and dishes. I don't understand what consumed with your work means in this
2: profession at that time. No, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna stand I'm gonna stand up for. What Vidal was he doing right at now. one in it the doesn't morning? Doesn't matter if you own a business or a salon or you're creating or running something. You're an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. You're like the time spent on the actual craft is a fraction of the total time required for all the other stuff, and it doesn't really matter whether the core of it is writing software or bookkeeping for the hair salon. Whatever. There's so much just other stuff.
0: Okay, okay. You you've convinced me. I just I want a little bit more detail on what consumed with your work meant, but you're not him. you're not ready
2: to apologize to 1958 Vidal for what you've said. Eh. No, you shouldn't. You don't have to.
0: Wife number 2, 1967-1980. I think this is the one where most of the family comes from. So this is 13 years, four kids, one of whom's adopted, two of whom are estranged, one of who as you mentioned tragically dies
2: at a young age. Two, estranged means no contact with the parents after a certain (sighs) point of adoption. Or
0: troubled relationship, and two, who think mom and dad are great. One thing I did come across, and it's hard to know what to make of this, but the adopted child does not have a lot of nice things to say about his father. I read one article that had an interview with him where he was extremely critical of his father's parenting style of being a disciplinarian and of how controlling he was. And then another daughter who I think went into acting and then OD'd in like 2003 or something. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. 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 So there's some real tragedy there. And apparently the other two children are big fans of dad and don't have these sort of critical things to say to the media. So who knows? Limited information, but it does affect my interpretation of his life. Wife number three... 1983 to, we don't know. It seems short. I couldn't find any information about what happened wife number three. I did dig a little bit. And then wife number four, 1992 until his death in 2012. So they were married for 20 years. That seems to be where he settled down into a lasting marriage. Yeah, there's a lot there. Let's go on to question four. Net worth. His net worth of death that I found was $200 million. Okay. $200 million is
2: a really high number. Extraordinarily wealthy.
0: How does that sit with you?
2: That is generational wealth. You know, that's, that's future yes. generations. Don't have to worry about it. And
0: I don't think we've mentioned he came from a poor background. He came from nothing.
2: Yeah, but that's right. also like could mess up your mind wealth. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it makes sense because his wealth was not in the salons. His wealth was in the products that he lent his name to in the company that he had originally and eventually sold and and became part of a few conglomerates, ultimately a Procter & Gamble, I think. Yeah,
0: but holy shit, 200 million. I
2: mean, Yeah, huge, uh, tremendous amount of money. Yeah,
0: okay. Question five, criminal record. Nothing that I found. Didn't find anything either. All right, moving on. Question six, Simpsons or Saturday Night Live? Did he ever have an appearance, a guest appearance on The Simpsons or did he ever host Saturday Night Live? I didn't find anything. I didn't even find skits about him. If you Google Vidal Sassoon Saturday Night Live, a few random David Spade skits will come up, but I listened to a few of them and never heard his name. And I actually have to say, it made me have a little bit more confidence in our category. (laughs) I'm not sure how much of a household name he
2: is. He is. Yeah, the product, maybe, but he.
0: Yeah, it sort of gets back to what we were talking about. So it's it's an interesting kind of celebrity here. I do think that some people don't realize it is a name, and I do think his peak fame seems to have happened before, you know, the
2: age of insane paparazzi. Correct. He himself as a person, not as a product, was a 60s, 70s type of celebrity. Right.
0: Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Would you have rather been a celebrity in the 60s or 70s, or
2: do you have a time period? I don't think I can think clearly about it because I tend to just have nostalgia about it that, like, it was always better before when it was smaller, and that history was always bigger fish and smaller pond. And for whatever reason, that sits better with me. Back
0: when you could, you know, share a
2: bunk bed with Michael Caine. Yeah. Let's actually not dismiss that because I don't know. When celebrity was a smaller pool, and when exactly to our point that we made, when you can be the best at something or at least be in a certain top tier. Undisputably, as the best at something without like an Olympic performance to prove it, that doesn't exist now. You can't have that because there's just far too many and there's far too much information. So it seems to me like there's a better clarity in like having your achievement or status or whatever you want to call it recognized in sort of this pre ubiquitous media world.
0: Well, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I actually think. What is interesting about his fame and celebrity is it's hard to imagine that when he's getting his start and when he's dedicating himself to this, and certainly must have been attracting a fairly well-to-do clientele, it's hard to imagine him thinking, I'm going to be famous. This is something people don't usually achieve lasting fame for. Now, you've pointed out He did have acclaim for his hairstyles, and he does wind up on the set of Roman Polanski movies, cutting Mia Farrow's hair and doing the haircuts of Jane Fonda and and a lot of other famous celebrities in in the 60s and 70s. But it doesn't seem like the kind of profession you say, I choose to be this because I want fame. That's different than people growing up in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, thinking, I want to go to Hollywood and be famous, or I want to go into politics and be famous, where fame itself is part of the attractive force for why people dedicate their passions to an endeavor. That seems to be almost happenstance here.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's probably the equivalent would be being one of the few famous chefs at that point, whereas now it's just like you know that if you are a chef attached to certain things, you may get celebrity associated with it.
0: Which sort of makes, you know, his achievements a little bit more extraordinary. To have a profession that doesn't clearly have fame as a destination and get there, good for him.
2: Yeah. To me, kind of the present equivalent, my mind goes to like Neil deGrasse Tyson, like a celebrity astrophysicist. There's nobody else that's a celebrity astrophysicist. Well, there's Carl Sagan. Okay, there's nobody else that is a alive who is a <laughs> celebrity <laughs> astrophysicist. All right.
1: Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win.
2: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
1: And guess what, Rockers? You can enter every month, so just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
0: I think we've arrived at the second half of the show where we get into some of the inner life questions. We're going to start with man in the mirror. Did he like his reflection in the mirror? This seems like a yes clearly. Yeah, I
2: don't I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this one. He was a fashion icon, he was quite good looking, very well dressed, exuded confidence. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's little to dispute here.
0: All right, next question about self-perception. Outgoing message. Did he record the outgoing message on his voicemail or home answering machine or whatever it may have been?
2: This is a question of how much do you like the way you sounded, but it's to us, it is an indicator of really how much you kind of like yourself. Yeah. And yeah, I think he did it. I think, yes, he recorded the outgoing message. I mean, he did his own voiceovers in the commercial. Pretty good voice. I can't hear the hesitation in the way he carried himself vocally.
0: I basically agree. There is an interesting wrinkle here, though. As he's trying to build up his business, really in the late 50s, early 60s, he is trying to get the attention of a well-known hairdresser because he wants to train under somebody. And he was turned away at first because of his cockney accent. So he hired a vocal specialist to help him talk in a way that didn't make him sound like he was from a lower class. And that was a very deliberate choice. So he falls into that category of somebody who did deliberate work on his voice. I think he came to like it, but he actually consciously worked on it. I assume he was probably ashamed of his humble origins. And he was actually an orphan for a while. He was so poor. I don't even think we've mentioned that.
2: Yeah, there's kind of like a gatsby
0: Quality to the whole story in its entirety. 100%. Okay. Next question regrets, public or private? We'll split it into two. Public. I got at least three. What do you got? You got three for public? Tell me. All right. Here's what I found I did see an LA Times article where he talked about some of his misgivings about being a strict parent, where he said, yeah, maybe I was a little hard on them, but it was because I came from such a tough background. And you could sort of hear him talking out loud, like, maybe I didn't parent them the way I wanted to. And I can't remember if this was in reference to his adopted son or another child, but it's expressed. He said he, had he not gone into hairstyling, he was very drawn to architecture and he would have gone to school for it. He talks about it so much that it almost seems like perhaps a regret. And then the last one is that he does seem to have serious misgivings about selling his company and the way his name was used with all of the subsequent sales to larger multinational
2: conglomerates. That was certainly a speculation of mine, but I I didn't come across anything that that he commented on it.
0: No, he he actually commented on it. He actually was pissed off that he sold it, even though he made off very, very well. He did not like how his name was used. I think it was after Procter & Gamble took it over, and I don't know why, other than they were profiting from the name Vidal Sassoon, and I think he had major misgivings about it. Yeah. He had $200 million to keep him comfortable at night, but he did have major misgivings about it. Private, I don't know. There was so much on the sort of the public regrets that I didn't give this a lot of thought.
2: Yeah, and you know, what you said was essentially my list of private regrets only because I didn't come across that information otherwise. But I think you got it. Let's go on to question 10. Good dreams or bad dreams?
0: And as you've put it before, this is really about the look in the eye. Do you see any darkness
2: in the eye? What do you got? I didn't have an easy answer on this. I landed on Good Dreams because I think he's a a visual artist who like sees beauty, who creates beauty. And I don't think that's a gimme, but I tend to believe their existential existence is a little better. He kept moving through marriages and tragedy and so forth without what we could ever detect as any sort of breakdown or withdrawal. Mm-hmm there was this sort of devotion to charity, but it was always like he was always kind of there. And so I think I'm going to change my answer to bad dreams (laughs) because there's a lot of reasons that there seems like a lot of things that should be buried that should be worried about. And if you don't withdraw and you keep, you know, essentially the same life, I just, I don't know when that comes up. I, for basically that reason, had a
0: fairly confident bad dreams answer here. He and his brother are thrust into an orphanage and he's estranged from his mother at a young age. Then he's battling fascists in the neighborhoods around London. Then he goes to war and fights for a country and felt persecuted as a Jewish man or as a Jewish boy in mid-century London. And then I think as he achieves success and as his star rises... I sense a lot of bravado. I sense a great smile. I sense a sort of earnest attempt to try and look really, really good, which has to come with the nature of the profession. But especially the interviews I saw, the little bit of this documentary I saw, there was a real intensity to his own public perception or how he was perceived, it seemed to me, that felt like a compensation for some really dark stuff underneath. So I landed pretty firmly on bad dreams. Okay, question 11, cocktail, coffee, or cannabis? Which of these would you want to sit down and do with Vidal Sassoon? And then really this question is trying to get at how you might unlock different parts of this person's personality and what it would be like to hang out with them under the influence of a drink, coffee,
2: or cannabis. What do you have? Several cocktails. I want to get wasted with Fidel. You know, I had the same thing. I had the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I think there are, I think there are stories. I think there are things he's seen. I think being a fashion icon of that era. There's a lot of fun probably. Yeah. There, just trade service fun.
0: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 No, that's I think that's really right. I mean, he does talk about having a very active social life and he was hanging out with a lot of celebrities. And he was cavorting around in Hollywood and New York and London and Paris, and really sought after, and people wanted to hang out with him. This guy had a, had a fun life for several decades, and then as that's winding down, he is very comfortable financially. So
2: I want to get him wasted and hear what comes out. Yeah, I and I, I sort of have this this projection of early fashion icons that they have like inability to kind of turn it off, turn off whatever the critical function. Mm-hmm. Of the brain is and be like, this is beauty. This is fun. Let's just live for tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of want to feed off that for a little bit. Yeah. I like where we're going with all of this.
0: The Vanderbeek, named after James Vanderbeek, who famously said in varsity blues,
2: I don't want your life.
0: Ahmet, we're here. Do you want Vidal Sassoon's life?
2: I'm not going to give you the answer immediately. And you know what you and I have said, we're really trying to let go of. Coming up with an answer until this exact point because we want the rest of the show to shape the answer.
0: Yeah, 100%. I don't have an answer yet either.
2: Yeah. So before I give you the yes or no, I'm just going to talk you through some of the thoughts. So I love the rags to riches element, Mm -hmm. the bootstraps of it, the complete change of life. I love the variety part of it from the war to intersection with different public figures to, let's just call it an artist, to businessman, to mogul, to all these things. I love that variety. That's an extraordinary
0: life in a lot of different ways, yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm okay with the age at which he died. I think it was 84, not too young, not dragged out in misery. I like so much of it. I like so much of the, the roundness of the life, much like I like the roundness of the bob haircut. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land on No. I don't want Vidal Sassoon's life. The home life just worries me too much. I mean, four marriages is it's a lot. lot. Estranged children is a lot. Certainly, death of a child who was—I mean, she wasn't a child, but you know, she was in her thirties.
0: And that's an adult child. A death yeah, of a child that's the death of—that is a lot.
2: Yeah, that is an internal roller coaster that seems more to me like more dips than ups and perhaps the rest of the life was i wouldn't say avoiding that but was justification for a lot of that and again who knows but that's what i'm seeing and that's what i'm hearing and i wouldn't want that i wouldn't want that possibility of that internal life yeah even for all the other things
0: Wow. I think I'm probably right there with you. I was sort of a lean no heading into this. I do wish I had a little bit more info on the two children who think dad is great. Are they just doing that for show or did they have a fundamentally different relationship or more forgiveness? Was there heart to hearts later in his life if he did have regrets about how he parented his children? Did he ever do any work on that? Or had the ship sailed? Because I do think it's not an uncommon thing, certainly for men in the 20th century, but fathers, mothers, whatever, to put a tremendous amount of focus on their career at a certain stage of life and rationalize a certain style of parenting and then come to an understanding later in life, shit, maybe that didn't go so well. Can I make amends now? I wish I had a little more information there. Based on the available information, I I am a lean no. I have one other funny question to ask you that I don't know if this is going to swing me or not, but it's been on my mind. If part of the way we get at the question, was this a good life or not, if part of the way we address that is by taking a good look at how meaningful our relationships are, he Cut a lot of people's hair. And the conversations you have with someone when they are in the chair and you're cutting their hair, I don't, I have to remember this now because I shaved my head. (laughs) Um, But once upon a time, you know, you have a certain kind of conversation with the person cutting your hair. And I can't figure out if it's, good or not. It's contained, which is sort of interesting. You do wind up talking about your life, which is sort of interesting. You're also looking in the mirror the whole time, literally looking in the mirror the whole time. When else in life are you carrying on a conversation while looking in the mirror the whole time? fantastic
2: point. Yeah.
0: Does that venue for conversation, is that a special thing or is it a superficial thing?
2: I haven't made up my mind about that. I'm going to go with special thing. It's a speculation, but I think it's, you have to look yourself in the eye, even if it's through a reflective glass. And you're going to say different things than what you're saying to somebody when you can't see yourself. That, yeah, a lot of, a lot of connection just happens by virtue of that transaction or that thing happening. You experience a lot of connection then.
0: Maybe even insight, right? I mean, I think you can, especially if you want to, you can get somebody talking about themselves in a way that they don't in any other context. And and I do wonder if part of what might make for a good life is an exploration of humanity and all its complexities, and the opportunity to talk with a lot of people who, from interesting backgrounds, and in his case, a lot of celebrities and, you know, politicians, I'm sure, and well-to-do people, it may be ultimately very shallow, but it does seem like maybe that is kind of great and special and unique, and it might make for a more worthwhile life. What
2: you're implying here is, is maybe all hairdressers have, like, Uh, And we're not saying that they are happy or whatever, but they experience a level of connection that very few other people in other professions necessarily have.
0: That's right. And his happened to be with, you know, the rich and famous. (laughs) There's a Robin Leach similarity here. So I may be a lean yes, Actually, I think I might have flipped just ever so slightly. The troubled relationship
2: with children, and
0: the, the thing is, I don't think I like him all that
2: much. But what you want to, be, you want to be just you, you want the life of a non-celebrity hairdresser?
0: Maybe, maybe I do. Also, sort of like this flavor of fame where you're not recognizable on the streets, but where you are at the upper tier of celebrity. I I mean, I think there's nobody on the planet in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s who wouldn't be very happy when Vidal Sassoon walked in the room and people wanted to see him. But then there's also a ton of other people on the street who don't recognize him. So there's still some protection of privacy, which is the most well-known celebrities would probably agree is a genuine, awful, true sacrifice that comes with that level of fame. So I I sort of like that, too. I don't know that I want his life in terms of his personality, and I do see a darkness in the eyes, but I almost want to have a Malkovich kind of front row seat to his experiences because I think it actually is really fucking interesting, and I think you might actually be able to dig in on people in a way that most people don't necessarily get the opportunity to do so in life. So... Gun to my head. I think I'm going to lean yes. I'll take your life, Vidal Sassoon. And your conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we've arrived. We are at the end of our show, The Pearly Gates. Amit, you are Vidal Sassoon. You have uh, died and you have gone to St. Peter and you have your opportunity to make your pitch.
2: I'm Vidal Sassoon. It's simple, really. You can look at a couple of tenets of my life and what I've done. You can laugh and you can joke, but I, I make people look good, and when I do that, I'm not doing it for their observers. I'm doing it for their self. I want people to look good so they feel good, and I believe that there's infinite capability in that. My profession was about that. Even the products that I lent my name to was about that. My political causes, the war I fought in was also about not limiting In individual's potential. I lived a life that was about infinite possibility for everyone. That there is a way out. There is a way to feeling good for everybody. That can be through hair. That can be through appearance. That can be through liberation in the society that you live in. That's the life I led. That's was my purpose. Let me in. Thank you for
0: listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. You can sign up for our mailing list at famousandgravy.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at Famous and Our show was co-created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne, Mixing, mastering, and sound design by Morgan Honaker. Graphic design by Brandon Burke. And original music by Kevin Strang. Thank you again for listening and hope to see you next time.
1: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.